there's a growing crisis of helplessness. There's a growing crisis of hopelessness in Australia. According to the 2020 Lowy Institute poll, Australians feel more pessimistic about the future than ever before. Only 50% say they feel safe. Uh, that's a drop of 28% since 2018. Uh, their reasons include COVID, obviously, uh, but also the global economic downturn, climate change, threats of drought, bushfire, flood, as well as a growing distrust in China. Uh, more specifically, this hopelessness has affected our mental health. Uh, since 2007, the Australian Government has completed four major national surveys of mental health and wellbeing. Uh, the 2007 survey found that 46% of Australians, that's nearly half, aged 16 to 85, had experienced a mental disorder during their lifetime, the most common being anxiety or depression. 46%. Uh, the 2018 survey found that 20% of responders had suffered a long-term mental disorder during the previous 12 months. One in five. Now, that was before COVID had uh, affected things. Uh, now, uh, worldwide studies are beginning to make conclusions on the effect of the COVID pandemic, pandemic on our mental health. Uh, in Britain, percentages of adults who reported experiencing symptoms of anxiety or depression jumped from 10% before the pandemic to 19% during it. Once again, one in five. Uh, in the US, the numbers are even more dramatic. No, uh, percentages jumped from 11 to 42%, 42%, nearly half, in December of last year, December 2020. Now, this hopelessness is quite different from uh, historically, what's been a general optimism about the future? All the way back to the scientific revolution in the 16th century, uh, people have believed that humanity has the resources to solve our problems. There's been an optimism about what we're capable of. Progress in technology, prosperity, standards of living, health, education, human rights, civilization in general, uh, they gave people the confidence that human society was steadily improving uh, and that disease and famine and intolerance and wars, well, they were things of the past. Uh, there was an optimism that things were truly getting better. But that optimism's crumbling. There's a growing awareness that we can't fix the environment or inequality or famine, or terrorism. Globalism has increased inequality rather than decreasing it. The gap between the rich and the poor is widening, not reducing, as our resources increase. Advances in technology can't cure our basic problems. They can't cure human greed and selfishness. The same ingenuity that can transplant a heart, invent the cochlear ear implant, also designs chemical and biological weapons, internet malware. Computers and electronics save us time and energy. They produce more free time, but how do we use that free time? 
Are we improving ourselves? Statistics say the numbers of people who volunteer their time is decreasing, not increasing. Medical conditions like diabetes and obesity associated with physical inactivity from all that extra leisure time, those things are also increasing. It seems like rather than progress, in lots of ways humanity is going backwards. Is it any wonder that people feel hopeless? I want to suggest that the, base, the problem is the basis for our optimism. I want us to think about the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is the confidence that things will eventually improve, things will get better. But hope is something different. Hope is something more, something deeper. Hope is the confidence that life is good, even if things don't improve. Now, both optimism and hope, they're forward-looking. But hope depends on something outside of our circumstances. Optimism depends on our circumstances improving. It depends on progress. The problem with optimism is that things can't keep improving. It's an impossibility. Prosperity can't keep improving. Technology, economic growth, these things can't keep improving. Eventually, our optimism will be disappointed. And that's where hopelessness begins to set in. And so I suggest we need something better than optimism. For life to be good, we need something better than this attitude that depends on our circumstances. What we need is hope. Hope can't be defeated by adversity or inactivity, by injustice or failure. Hope asserts that life is good despite the limitations. Hope looks to something beyond this world, beyond the reach of this world. And that sort of hope gives strength and endurance to face the limitations of this world. That sort of hope motivates people to persevere, to sacrifice themselves for the sake of others, for a greater purpose. In short, that sort of hope makes life better. So here's my assertion. Christianity works because it offers hope that's beyond this failing world. Hope that this world can't impact. Hope in God's gracious salvation, judgment, paradise. And that sort of hope motivates Christians right now to persevere, to live godly lives, to not seek revenge, to serve others. Well, the passage we're going to turn to is uh, the first part of Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. After a brief introduction, uh, brief introduction, verses 1 to 2, we looked at that briefly last week, he quickly launches into these words of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. He begins by describing what God's done in the present. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. 
but he quickly jumps to what God will do in the future, our future home, uh, compared to this temporary home we're in at the moment. He says our new birth is into a living hope, a solid, evidence-affirmed, death-defying hope, a hope that's certified and powered by Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection being the prototype, the foretaste of our resurrection, of our inheritance. His resurrection is the basis for our hope. It's a hope that's in something beyond this world. Beyond it in terms of time and reach, something that comes after this life, it's outside of this life. But it's also a hope that's beyond this life in terms of offering something greater than this life, something richer, truer, more precious, more long-lasting. Verse 4 says it's it's an inheritance that can't perish, spoil or fade and it's kept safe in heaven, which means it's, it's certain and secure. It's a solid base for our hope. Unlike the things in this life that we're optimistic about, it's an inheritance that can't be wiped out by taxes or injustice or death or economic downturn. And not only is the object of our hope solid, but the hope itself is solid. It's a a strong trust. It's not something that we just generate from our own resources. Look at verse 5. You, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation ready to be revealed. The reason we can have a living hope in our future inheritance is by God's power. That's where the hope comes from. God's power gives us faith. Faith that looks beyond the insecurities and the disappointments of this life. God's power shields us from that sort of hopelessness. Now all of that is simply a description of Peter's readers, who they are, what God's given them. Next, like all good pastors, Peter answers the so what question. What difference does all of that make in how we live? Well, look at verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. Not unsurprising, really, is it? If we've understood some of all of the good things we've been given by Jesus, in this you greatly rejoice. But perhaps what is surprising is that we greatly rejoice despite present experience. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, rejoicing and grief, they don't naturally go together, but somehow for the Christian, as they go through various trials, they can both grieve and rejoice. Both are appropriate. It's the grief in trials that God's power shields us from. And as we read on, we find three reasons why we can rejoice in trials. Firstly, verse 7, we can rejoice because the trials test whether our faith is genuine. These, the trials, have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, 
which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. The idea is of gold. It starts off, when you dig it out of the ground, it contains impurities. But when you melt it, the impurities burn off or they float to the surface and are skimmed away until all you're left with is pure, valuable gold. And it's the same with our faith in God. It's even more valuable because it doesn't perish. And what trials do is purify our faith. How does that work? Well, during our life, we trust in all sorts of different things. Uh, We may trust in our money or our health, our intellect, our possessions, the solutions that we turn to when we're faced with problems. But God uses trials to burn off those things. Chronic illness, that'll burn off trust in your health. Economic downturn, it'll burn off confidence in your wealth. Conflict in relationships takes away the comfort and the joy we experience in in networks and relationships. Then there's a global pandemic. Well, that'll burn off our trust in just about everything. Those things that we turn to are worthless and unreliable. They're unstable foundations for confidence and optimism. And in comparison... What the difficulties prove is that God alone is reliable. And the end result is that our faith in God finishes up more single-minded, more pure, because everything else has been found wanting. All the competitors have fallen away. And when that happens, at the end, uh, we, we emerge strong and unbroken. And verse 7 says it results in praise, glory and honour when Jesus is revealed. When Jesus is proved utterly reliable compared to all the other false foundations. And that's the second reason that we can rejoice though we grieve in trials. Because Jesus at the end will be recognised. He'll be endorsed as the one worthy of honour. He saved us. He's equipped us. He's used all the trials to bring glory and praise to himself. That is the long-sighted hope that helps us to endure the grief at the present. It's that hope that gives us the perspective to rejoice in our trials. Future hope gives present perseverance. In the end, the one who infinitely deserves the praise will receive it. His praise won't be hidden or partial or grudging. It will finally be appropriate, complete, fitting. Fitting for his splendour and his power and his beauty. And right now, we can look forward to that with joyful expectation. And then in verse 9, a third connected reason for our joy. Verse 9, because we're receiving the goal of our faith, that its target, we're receiving the salvation of our souls. Our bodies endure the trials of the present because our souls are receiving our salvation in the future. 
three reasons why we can greatly rejoice while we grieve in trials. But that's not all that hope in the future does. Uh, Jump down to verse 13. It's not just attitudes. Uh, There are practical applications for our behaviour as well. Uh, Look at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance... But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, just to begin with, notice the two logic words that start each of those two paragraphs. Verse 13 begins with, therefore... Verse 17 begins with since, same word. Uh, In other words, because God's salvation and judgment are coming, behave accordingly now. Because you have that future hope, behave accordingly now. You see, when we hope in heaven, it, it doesn't make us passive and lazy. It doesn't make us too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, as some people say. It actually does the opposite. The future casts its shadow over how you live now. You want to be prepared for that future and so, verse 14, you don't live the way that you used to. You live as one who has to give an account because everyone will appear before that impartial judge and so you can leave revenge up to him. And you imitate the holy God who calls you. You live holy lives. You seek to bear the resemblance of your heavenly home rather than your earthly one. You seek to fit in here less and less because you're only a tourist here. So here's my proposition. Christianity gives us genuine hope. Hope that shows itself now in joy and holiness and endurance through the trials of this life. Let me finish with an example of this. Through the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries, millions of African slaves were brought to America to work on farms, in industry, to establish the nation. Cruel, inhuman abuse was widespread. Education, health care, basic human rights were withheld. I don't need to go into into detail. But one factor I do want to highlight is the widespread, genuine Christian faith among black slaves. And especially the hope that gave them perseverance. The American historian Christopher Lash uh, says it was Christianity that enabled slaves, I quote, to measure and judge the behaviour of their masters and to articulate the promise of deliverance as a people in this world, as well as the next. In other words, Christianity gave the slaves the tools to hope for an ultimate liberation, a liberation, a salvation that was beyond this world. In particular, Howard Thurman, an African-American scholar, 
has focused on the importance of Negro spirituals, their songs of lament and faith and hope. Thurman writes, their sung faith taught a people how to look squarely in the face of those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope and to use those facts as raw material out of which they fashioned hope that the environment with all its cruelty could not crush. They sang spirituals, songs of lament, with words like this, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows my sorrow. But they carried with that sorrow the comfort that Jesus was walking the road with them. They sang, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows but Jesus. Their songs were about the dual reality. On the one hand, that suffering was real, but on the other hand, they sang with faith of God's promises of salvation and rest, promises that gave their life hope and purpose, even in slavery. Slavery might be their present reality, but it wasn't going to be how the story ended. And so they sang, O freedom, O freedom, O freedom over me. And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. They sang of their hope of being with Jesus in the promised land. Perhaps you've heard this one. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. The brightest day that ever I saw, coming for to carry me home. When Jesus washed my sins away, coming for to carry me home. I'm sometimes up and sometimes down, coming for to carry me home. But still my soul feels heavenly bound, coming for to carry me home. That was their sung hope and it lifted up the downtrodden and it wasn't squashed by suffering and persecution and loss. It equipped them not to resort to violence to bring justice. It equipped them not to just give in and cooperate with injustice. So let's follow their example. Let's look to Jesus. Let's trust God's promises. Let's rejoice as his people, chosen for obedience to Jesus, given new birth into a living hope, an inheritance kept safe in heaven. And in the meantime, as we wait for that, God shields us by his power. He tests and purifies us. That's who you are. It's what you've been chosen for. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Love him. Long for him. Let him fill you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm sometimes up and sometimes down, coming for to carry me home, but still my soul feels heavenly bound, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a time for us uh, to hear 
your words about hope, uh, about, about uh, joy in present trials. Uh, help us to trust your wisdom and your goodness and your promises uh, that trials are purifying our faith. We pray that our faith will stand firm, that you'll protect us by your power, uh, that we will be found uh, at the end uh, with Jesus, that he might receive praise, glory and honour. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.